I mean, there's so much unknown. We just don't know how long this is going to go. We are moving forward on a spectrum now to living with COVID. Everybody has an expectation that there's going to be an avalanche of insolvency coming through. And there will be winners and losers in the next period of time. In times of great uncertainty, it may feel like we're living in an episode of Game of Thrones. But in business, unlike in fiction, there are predictive models to suggest who may live and who may die. As the business landscape changes daily, survival comes down to resilience, more than just a mindset, but an operational practice. Having the expertise to interpret the data and the courage to employ the necessary operational response is the difference between those who barely survive and those who succeed. You are listening to In Business with BDO. Welcome to In Business with BDO, where we bring the experts to you to share their insights on the top issues and topics impacting organisations and finance-related issues affecting individuals in Australia today. I'm your host, Jennifer Mary, and in this episode, we're discussing the operational resilience required to succeed in business in these great times of uncertainty. In our view, resilience is a business of ability to batten down the hatches, to use a phrase, and get to, to tread water during this period of uncertainty where we just don't know how quickly uh, their market will improve or return back to the to the norm, whether it will return back to the norms. With us today is Andrew Fielding. I'm a partner in the Brisbane office and I also lead the business restructuring uh, division for the firm across Australia. Joining Andrew is Adam Myers, a partner in the Perth office. I work largely on valuations and due diligence for a lot of public companies. Looking back on the previous months of the pandemic, uh, some businesses have obviously done better. What are your observations as to the defining operational features of those businesses? I guess what we've seen over the, the past six months is that those businesses that are doing well or surviving are those that have put a, a bit more effort into planning. They've um, considered their outgoings. They've looked at what other benefits or subsidies or grants are available from the government. And they put that in the plan and projected that plan out for the next six or 12 months. And then on top of that, have put together some scenarios that based on what they expect the return of income to be. And look, that's all dependent upon quality financial information. So those companies that don't have current information at their fingertips are struggling to do those plans. You know, they really do need to understand the, the drivers of their business. And then on top of that, they also need to have very good relationships with the key stakeholders. And those key stakeholders are going to be their financiers, their suppliers, and you know ultimately their clients or customers to understand what their demands are going to be. I mean, there's no point if you're a, a supplier to a large manufacturing company, if that manufacturing company has cut its um, production down by 50%, then there's no point in you continuing to plan to produce at 100%. So it really is a case of communicating with your key stakeholders and putting a plan together. Look, I think we've certainly seen some companies that uh, are exposed to international travel, for example, where you know they've made fairly decisive decisions that um, you know they've had to wind their businesses up at this point in time because there is just no demand and the length of time it will take for their business to restart. They just can't sustain the overheads. They haven't been able to, to restructure. So they've taken the, the tough decision to sort of, uh, you know, cut their losses earlier. 
you know, those that have been able to pivot, rethink and look at, okay, well, what, what do I have within my organisation? Okay, I can look at, you know, I've got staff that are, are good at selling products, organising itineraries, et cetera. Can they pivot and do something more on the domestic market and create some local product? And those that have been able to pivot and do that with the assistance of JobKeeper are sort of sustaining themselves at the moment and then planning for what does the new normal look like when we come out of this so that they won't ever wholly go back to what they were. They'll be a more diversified business. But they're really looking internally about what their skill sets and capabilities are and what other needs are out there during this current pandemic time. I've watched a number of the hotels we manage uh, and at this stage just watching them try to identify the changes to the social distancing rules and then trying to equate those back to the number of patrons and then equating that back to the key drivers such as you know how many kegs does that represent and what sort of staffing levels they're going to require etc etc so a lot of our hotel clients have, have done it very well and are actually doing very well in the current climate i mean i think we're fairly lucky in brisbane that we're fairly isolated because a number of the, the the hotels and restaurants in the the brisbane cbd are doing extremely well at the moment as has already been alluded to some industries will naturally have a greater mountain to climb from the outset due to the way their product intersects with current restrictions according to adam how innovatively they respond will define their ultimate resilience those in the transport industry, taxi industry, for example, I know that they're doing it very tough at the moment just purely because of the lack of demand. You know, there are a lot of options that some of them haven't taken up, such as, you know, whilst you might uh, be set up to carry clients or, or people, you could always look at getting into Uber Eats or some of the supermarkets and things like that, doing deliveries. So that, that those people that haven't, thought or investigated opportunities outside the square are struggling. They, they just can't adapt to the changes that are happening. It would be remiss to analyse Australian business resilience without discussion of government stimulus packages. Just how much resilience can be solely attributed to that support? Ultimately, what can we expect to see in Australian businesses when government stimulus packages end? Look, that's a really interesting question. Uh, I think a lot of businesses have done very well as a result of the, um, the government stimulus and support. We're not talking just about JobKeeper. Um, most of the state governments have had various grants and loans up to $250,000. So, you know, there has been a lot of protecting business in Australia. But it's also, it's a really, it, it's hard to actually measure because if you look at some of the other statistics that are being floated around, I think they released last week that Australian credit card debt came down 10 or 20%. You talk to the, uh, you have a look at the bank figures at the moment, bank deposits have increased substantially. So it, it's really hard to, to see. But I, I think... A lot of businesses has purely survived as a result of particularly the JobKeeper subsidy that's being provided. I think that um, the businesses that will do well out of this stage are those that are really planning for a scenario where what do we do when that stimulus does come off so that they're not wholly reliant on it. They're using the time available to plan effectively 
But to be thinking that this is something that's sustainable longer term, I think is a falsehood. So being able to sort of rethink your strategy during this period when stimulus is available is key. I think the stimulus has been a fantastic initiative by the government. It certainly differentiates the GFC experience to this COVID experience. So the stimulus has definitely had a great impact, but it's one, again, that we can't price in forever. We do have to uh, move forward. So I would say that um, it is certainly a, a, a period of great interest and there will be winners and losers in the next period of time. So with the winners and losers, are we going to see the sort of avalanche of insolvencies that people are talking about and then lots of acquisitions and mergers and consolidations? On the uh, the acquisition side, I mean, we're certainly seeing a lot of M&A activity at the moment. So people are certainly looking for opportunities. There's certainly a lot of IPO activity building up as well. So people are looking to list and, and come to public markets. At the moment, we're certainly seeing great levels of optimism within the broker communities fundraisings are getting away so certainly there's uh, you know I can provide commentary on the the positive aspects there's definitely those seeing opportunity and Andrew would be very well placed to talk about the insolvency side of things. I've done a lot of uh, talking with bankers and and lawyers etc and um, everybody has an expectation that there's going to be an avalanche of insolvency coming through that's really going to depend on how the government slowly reduces the likes of JobKeeper there are a number of businesses out there already that are only purely surviving for the sake of JobKeeper. Should have probably gone into liquidation over the last six months, irrespective of COVID nineteen, and they're, they're continuing on because there's no no risk of insolvent trading, etc. And so you're going to see you'll see an artificial avalanche, purely being the number of companies that, as I said, should have fallen by the wayside and in the ordinary course of business. At the moment, it takes six months to wind a company up due to the the, uh, the amendments to the legislation. And as soon as that's changed back to 21 days, you'll see a lot more activity. I mean, the Australian Tax Office is probably the greatest petitioner for winding up companies. It has not been pursuing companies over the last six months. If you have a look at the daily court list, there are no applications, whereas on a standard day, there would be 10 or 15 applications, a majority of them by the Australian Tax Office. So, yes, I think we're going to see an avalanche of um, insolvency, probably February, March next year, but it's really hard to see what else we're going to encounter. Uh, My anticipation is that the banks will be very reluctant to a point or pursue the recovery of debts purely because they've managed to um, establish a fair amount of goodwill over the past six months to counter the bad will that they incurred after the Royal Commission. And they appear to be gearing up to be able to manage a lot of these facilities internally without external appointments. So I don't think you'll see a lot of bank activity. I think you'll continue to see some opportunistic appointments most of the large administrations that you've seen in the last six months have been fairly opportunistic to uh, enable companies to get out of unfavorable leases and clean, what we call cleaning up the balance sheet. I mean, look at Virgin. It's managed to come out. It went into administration with 6 or $7 billion worth of debt, and it's now coming out of administration with $3.5 billion worth of debt. So there will be more activity in that regard where uh, companies will take that opportunity. But longer term, I just, other than this backlog of 
companies that should have been liquidated, it's really hard to date what we're going to see, and that's going to be very, very dependent upon how the government manages, how it weans business off the subsidies. Often, the hardest questions to answer are those whose answers bear the most importance. For Australian businesses, it's just how long can we expect to see the impacts of this great disruption? It's very difficult to put an exact timeline on how long the impacts will be felt. And I guess it's really about how you think about COVID itself. So I think we've gone through the initial react stage and we've had you know, the first round of you know, lockdowns and a suppression strategy. We are moving forward on a spectrum now to living with COVID and managing outbreaks through contact tracing, uh, targeted isolation, etc. So as we open up, we certainly will have more, more infections emerge. And it's really now about avoiding going back into a widespread lockdown. I mean, we certainly can see the impact that it's had on Victoria to go into a second lockdown. It would be a huge impact on consumer sentiment, on consumer behaviour if they were to go into a, a third widespread lockdown. So managing the transition out of lockdown and making sure that the, the new strategy of targeted suppression um, is effective is really crucial to how much the economic impact is. You really do need to look at a spectrum of activities and look at you know what is high risk, little economic impact versus something that's high economic impact but low risk. It's certainly something we can live with, um, but there will be some industries where it's a high touch point for little economic benefit. Those are industries, I think, where they'll be legislated against that, I'm sorry, you can't undertake that activity. Now, if you were looking at um, a ballroom dancing school, for example, in Victoria, that would probably be one of the last things that comes back, whereas a FIFO operation in the Pilbara, which is very isolated, that will certainly uh, have a, a widespread support from government to make sure that uh, we can support that. We've reacted to the initial phase. We've now moved through a, a resilience building stage where companies have examined their operations. And I think that people have used the time wisely to actually have a, a really good hard look at their businesses. And in looking at those businesses to look at, okay, well, rather than a COVID, non-COVID sort of scenario, we're looking at in the case of this type of lockdown, in the case of that type of restriction, and having different scenarios that they can plan as to how they'd react and not go through a knee-jerk reaction where they're, they're sort of cutting staff, putting staff back on. Being able to pivot quite quickly and, and adapt and evolve is really the key, and that's really, I guess, the path where you can then start to realise some of the benefits whilst the whole time keeping in the back of your mind that, this is something that until there's a worldwide vaccine that's effective, it's not going away. It's just like Andrew was saying earlier, the planning is, is a really key element for those that are going to survive. And I think if you look back historically with some of the planning processes that took place, a business was trading on its merit. You know, there would be a, a relatively high level review of, well, you know, what did we do last year? Where's the, the opportunities? And there'd be a slight tweak to the current operating model, whereas now I think you really need to look hard at, you know, why do we exist as a business? What, what do we provide to our ecosystem? What other things could we play a role in? 
if I needed to redeploy my assets, you know, a gin distillery, for example, turning into making hand sanitizer, you know, what other things could you manufacture? You know, and starting to think about all the different things that you could do to take your business somewhere else to reinvent that business so that, you know, you, you don't find yourself on decline with nowhere to go other than, uh, than winding up. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think um, it's going to be very segment um, or sector-based. Some businesses haven't missed a beat. I mean, um, you know, as Adam said, a lot of the mining is, you know, we're still producing. The farmers are still growing. We've got a little bit of a hiccup with labour. But, you know, there's a complete shift for tourism, for example. We're not going to see tourism of the nature that we had pre-COVID for, you know, many years, I think. Even when we have a vaccine, if we have a vaccine, people will still be fairly reluctant to travel. And there's some fundamental shifts just in the business life cycle coming out as a result of that. And they've really got to decide whether or not they can continue in that business cycle. Uh, you think of the, the five-star resorts in North Queensland, etc., that primarily relied upon international tourists paying the prices that international tourists pay. You know, they're not going to see that. So they're not going to be able to to borrow additional funds from their finances. So they've got to actually have a look at what does that mean? Is there a future? How do they modify, as Adam said, the assets that they have available to them to be able to survive in a domestic market as opposed to an international market? So uh, I think that's what we're looking at. I mean, there are huge opportunities because of the issues within other countries where supply chains have broken down and we're, uh, there's a lot of opportunity there. I was going to say, I look at, uh, you know, opportunities like Tom Hanks coming back to Australia to film another movie. You know, we can use some of our natural attributes. We are the world's largest island. You know, we've now made it one of the safer places on, on the planet in terms of the, the infection. So if we can have an industry such as the film industry basing itself in Queensland, continuing on with production, something that can be delivered to people in their homes in safe environments, it's a, a great opportunity to reposition ourselves in an industry which traditionally we would have been uh, exposed to high levels of competition out of the US, which currently, unfortunately, is not as safe as Queensland is at the moment. Yeah, no, that's a really great point. And it's, you know, it highlights that, yes, there is so much emphasis on the negatives to business, but there are opportunities to be gained, you know, that never waste a crisis. Are there any other advantages or opportunities to be gained as a result of this uh, circumstance? I think it's um, been a, a fantastic opportunity for many companies. You know, discussions that traditionally would have been difficult to have with, with your bank, with your key suppliers, those parties are now inextricably linked to your success. So to be able to go and have a very open conversation with all the all the parties in your ecosystem is perfect. You know, the, the time is great. Everyone's open to listening to see how we can share success. When you're talking about wasting a crisis, the other part of this is there's a lot of opportunity. We have a number of briefs from private equity companies to look for opportunities. So, you know, there will be those parties that are undercapitalized and can't survive the longer term. So there, there's going to be opportunities for people to invest in those businesses. As I said previously, a number of the banks will will not be in a position to continue to extend further credit to to a large to a lot of the, for example, tourism operators. So one of the briefs that we have is to look for quality tourism assets which uh, 
could be acquired, whereby the PE company will provide working capital for a percentage of equity. But as I said also, the other opportunity is these companies that are cleaning out their balance sheets by taking advantage of, you know, what a great, what a better, what better time could there have been for Virgin not to fly? I mean, their opposition's not flying. You know, Qantas is on the ground. The staff are being paid by the uh, government under JobKeeper. So uh, it was a great opportunity. You're now seeing a lot of the uh, larger retailers looking at this as well. I think uh, until landlords grasp the concept that rents are never going to be the same again, you're going to see a large number of retailers, chains of retailers going into an administration process to renegotiate their lease agreements and then come out of this in a stronger position. So just zooming out, how will the global landscape affect Australian businesses? I think the the global landscape really is impacted by how, how the various countries manage the return to the new normal. International air travel, yes, that's going to be impacted, but you know, international freight links can be managed. Um, so I, I think supply chains will be restored and we will... It'll return to a relative normal so long as you're not dealing with a a high human touch point sort of operation. We are doing a lot of work with um, US companies, particularly our our Sydney office. have got some IPOs of US tech companies that are in various stages and that's all fairly positive. And there's private equity activity out of the US that certainly is looking at Australia as an attractive investment destination. So I think whilst there are some some red flags and warning signs about some potential disruptions to to global trade for Australia. You then can see others that are seeing opportunity that we've managed the pandemic well. We are a safe jurisdiction and I think that um, there's a a genuine understanding that, you know, we need to be good global citizens and, and all parties will eventually come to the table and negotiate in good faith. Global relationships are one side of this coin, but with state by state management of the crisis in Australia, border issues are currently those much closer to home. So how can businesses reliant on cross-border and interstate exchange survive this next phase? Yeah, I think that's um, a really interesting point. And uh, coming from Western Australia, we've obviously been under the microscope that we've got our our hard border policy. And I think if you you look at the, um, the real rationale behind that, our mining and resources uh, economy is a huge impact on on the state. So, you know, it drives a lot of state wealth. And for us to impact that would be a huge issue. And, you know, it would then impact the, the royalties the government receives and the, the ability then for the government to undertake other forms of stimulus. So, you know, I think it was viewed that if we weren't able to manage the risk of interstate travel appropriately and it would have put the mining industry at threat, then you know, that's just an unfortunate decision we have to make. Moving forward, I'm sure that that will change. And, I mean, talking to people from Perth Airport, you know, they're looking at their business model and they're on a per-passenger charge for, for their their fees. You know, there's limited people on each aircraft now for interstate or international travel. They're not recovering anywhere near what they should. All their retail outlets are closed. You know, the parking's well down. So, you know, the airport, is a crucial hub for our mining space and they recognise that, but they're now looking at their business model going, what well, do we do a per plane charge? How do we restructure and, and survive over the longer term in, in the new normal? So, you know, if you look at a state like WA where we don't really have a lot of 
interstate shared border towns, etc. It is relatively easy for us to lock it off. The other states, um, you know, I think that um, you look at South Australia, um, you know, they've got shared borders with Victoria. At the moment, yes, they'll need to, to manage that carefully, but to, to cut that off permanently would be too difficult. So I think, it, you know, if you look at this as a whole, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all. I think we really need to look at what's important to that state, how do we make sure that state can re-engage with the rest of the country and then eventually internationally. Cultivating business resilience is clearly reliant on innumerable factors, some of which you've touched on today. But in summary, what in your view is the key takeaway or best practice operational advice you'd give to businesses hoping to survive and succeed in this new normal? Essentially, it comes down to planning, looking for opportunities, and then taking advantage, a bit of courage, and take advantage of those opportunities that are presenting themselves. And, you know, if we all sit back and uh, with doom and gloom and we just continue to tread water, then we're going to go nowhere. But they, they need to take stock of what they've got, take advantage of the opportunities. That is going, as Adam has said, go and see their clients, understand the demand, whether the demand has changed, go and see their suppliers, see whether there's better deals that can be negotiated, go and see their financiers, have a look at what facilities that are available and then prepare an appropriate plan and then move forward. The the best advice I can give is, I keep going back to it, a very, very basic three-way forecast that has, has, you test the assumptions and you understand the key drivers and you plan for various scenarios. I mean, that's normal business advice, but unfortunately most people don't do it on a day-to-day basis. But under the extreme circumstances we're in now, there's, there's, it's imperative that people plan uh, and understand their in, inflows and outflows. I think Andrew's covered it perfectly. Cash is king at the moment. So certainly keeping an eye on cash flow, understanding your business intimately, but then also understanding the place that you hold within the ecosystem and really deepening those relationships. Um, I think that... Um, you know, the one benefit that COVID gave us was we did get some time to think, some time to analyse, some time to talk with our our employees, time to talk with customers. You know, during lockdown, I spent a lot of time on the phone um, and, you know, really broadening those relationships was a great use of time. So continuing to put time into understanding the position of others, your employees, your customers, your suppliers, it, I think is uh, invaluable going forward. You know, hopefully people will understand their businesses far better than they did before uh, because they've had to work a little bit harder to, to make, that, make it survive. Thank you to our expert guests, Andrew Fielding and Adam Myers. You're listening to In Business with BDO. Remember to subscribe and rate this podcast in your favourite podcast app and send us your comments and questions to podcast at bdo.com.au. I've been Jennifer Mary and we'll see you next time when we explore another topic essential to the way we do business and live our modern lives.